You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Now we're going to get down to the Word of God. And uh, last week we uh, heard from Stuart, he was speaking on the topic of Missio Dei, a Latin phrase. And this week we're going to have another Latin phrase, and uh, it has to do, it's called Imago Dei. Anybody know what Imago, Imago Dei means? Any Latin scholars? Oh, there's one at the back there. Yes, uh, all those who did Latin in high school will know that that means image of God. So we're going to have a look today at the image of God, and it falls into, um, it really falls in line with what Stuart was saying, especially when he was talking last week about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. And we want to talk about the image of God in the timeline, creation, fall, and redemption, or creation, fall, and recreation. Just a whole timeline of salvation history. So um, you can imagine my surprise when on Wednesday night, Dr. Tom Kimber stood up here and began to teach on what subject? The creation of man and the imago Dei. And it was a shock to me because he began to use the points that I will later bring out. And I thought to me, oh dear. <laughs> he has stolen my thunder. Uh, there, there's another. But it's not my thunder. It's God's thunder. And uh, it's not stolen because God has a habit of doing things like that. He likes churches to hear things a few times, you know. In Eltham, we sometimes repeat things, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're only, I think we might only do this once. <laughs> so I began to think, will I have to change my sermon altogether or keep going? But I really felt it should keep going. Because number one, a lot of you weren't there. And number two, um, it's good to hear things again. And um, Tom, I had a soulish prayer last week. Lord, I would love to hear someone expound this before I have a go. And there I was in the front seat just listening to a master expound the Word of God. It was, it was wonderful. And I thank the Lord for that opportunity. So we're going to begin and look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. And uh, just by the way, Genesis is so important, especially Genesis chapter 1 to 11. So important for our Christian faith. If those 11 chapters were not in the Bible... Our faith would not make any sense at all. The rest of the Bible would make no sense. Because everything we believe is traced back to those first 11 chapters of Genesis. It has its foundation and root there. And that, that's why it's so important. We find there about our origins as human beings. Where we came from. What is our purpose? And uh, that is so vitally important today. Because the majority of our uh, fellows here in this country and the majority of people in the Western world do not know where we came from. They either don't know or they have another idea of where we came from. And A.W. Tozer uh, is a, um, was a scholar, Christian scholar who died, I think, in the 50s. There he is. And he said this, the doctrine of man made in the image of God is one of the basic doctrines of the Bible and one of the most elevating, enlarging, magnanimous, and glorious doctrines that I know. 
What a statement. I think if he thought that, it would be worth our while looking into the image of God. So here we go with our reading. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to look at this wonderful doctrine of the image of God, may the implications of that become very, very real to us. So much so that they begin to transform our behavior, begin to transform our hopes, our aspirations, and our, our perception of our purpose, so that we would become very effective servants of God here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Can you imagine the lostness, the lack of direction and purpose for us when we don't know where we came from? Can you imagine that? The lostness, the lack of purpose, the lack of direction in not knowing where we come from. Look, don't imagine too much more. Just look around us at our Western society, and then you will see. That's what it looks like. However, this sense of lostness and not knowing where we come from has uh, actually sometimes a good uh, purpose or outworking behind it because people begin to inquire. I, I feel lost. Why is that? Uh, I don't know what my purpose is. How can I find it? So people start to search for their purpose and start to search for why they're feeling lost and everything else. So it leads them on a search. And uh, great amounts of money are poured into researching where we came from. And uh, billions and billions of dollars. Where did we come from? And you know, God has graciously already told us where we come from. And if we were to accept that, and that our research and all the money that we pour into science started from that point, then I think we would get better answers, and they would come quicker. So, it, okay, it's one thing not knowing where we come from, but it's another thing entirely thinking that we come from somewhere when we don't actually come from somewhere. We come from somewhere else. And that, that is really what's happening in our society today. We, we largely believe that we are the product of our own genes and the product of our own body chemistry, which in turn is the product of millions and millions and millions of years of random, purposeless, unguided accidents. Random, purposeless, unguided accidents. So extrapolate from that doctrine to right here and now and to ourselves. If we were to believe that, then we would be a random, purposeless accident. I don't think there are many people in here who would believe that. But that's the logical conclusion of believing that we are the product of our own genes. And when we begin to believe things like that, we come up with doctrines like uh, um, Friedrich Dietrich, uh, Nietzsche said. He said, might is right. The strongest is the one that rules, basically. And then there's um, another thing that Darwin came up with, survival of the fittest. And uh, we know that in nature, this, the uh, fittest does survive. 
But if we take that into the area of humanity, then uh, we will be ruthless with the weak. And then we have uh, racial superiority. Uh, the Nazi regime uh, and the fa other fascist regimes are uh, believing in racial superiority, which traces its roots back to Darwinism as well. And then the postmodern idea of m no moral absolutes. If we are the product of um, random processes, then there cannot be any such thing as moral absolutes. And so we can do what we like. So you can see how that uh, belief system produces lostness, lack of direction. It produces abuse. Uh, it produces monsters in our society, both at individual and uh, national levels. And this is what we are seeing in our nation, and not only our nation, but all over the world. And it's because we've set aside this knowledge that we were made in the image of God. Uh, we are made in the image of God. And if we set aside that knowledge, then we also begin to lose the benefits from that knowledge. And what are the benefits from that knowledge? Well, the benefits are cherishing life. What do we see in our society? We no longer cherish life. It doesn't matter if it's the unborn or the elderly. Even today, as I was coming here in the car, someone is trying to introduce a euthanasia bill to the parliament in Victoria again. And that's the product of not believing that we are made in the image of the supreme being. And uh, when we, when we uh, stop that, we lose so many benefits in society and our society becomes brutal. Isn't it very clear to those of us who love the Lord that that's the road that's going? And we also know the way back. And so is it any wonder that our youth today is aimless, looking for escapes from the reality, whether it's um, computer games, um, drugs, um, illicit sex, all kinds of things like that. They don't want to believe in purposelessness, but the information they've been fed leaves them with no option but to conclude that there is no purpose. That is hopelessness. That's why the suicide rate is going up. And it stems from not believing that we are made in the image of the Supreme Being. Just look at other religions uh, and so the societies that they produce. Look at Islamic society. Islam does not teach that we are made in the image of God. The uh, Gospel Coalition Australia says this, in the Quran, the popular Islamic belief, there is no image of God, no connection between God and humanity, and there is no plan for humanity to share in God's glory. That's Islam. And uh, you can see then that how this may influence the way Islam treats different people. Um, the difference they make between the value of the life of an infidel and the value of the life of a faithful. The value of the life of a Sunni as opposed to the life of a Shia. The life of a man as opposed to the life of a woman. It's no accident that these things are coming out in Islam. It's because they do not believe that we are made in the image of God. Let's look at Hindu society. Hinduism teaches that all the animals and man came from the sacrifice of some primordial form of man and that the parts of the first being became the various living creatures, including man. So therefore, it is no surprise that the Hindus worship the cow. And it is no surprise then also that they treat cows with more respect than Dalit women. Then uh, it's no surprise too that uh, you take a professing Christian who doesn't know where he came from, he is going also to be 
uh, lost in many ways. So knowing the origins of mankind uh, is vital for our wholeness and our effectiveness as believers uh, here as individuals and, uh, and as societies. So if we know what our true purpose is and what our destiny is, then we can get on with it. We can agree with God, can't we? And we can get on with it, or we can choose to ignore it. We have a choice. And should we decide to get on with it and live our lives for, as God intended, the Creator intended, then we're going to uh, have a, a productive life uh, in the context of a relationship with Him. So, I believe we're made in the image of God, and so therefore I'm going to uh, assume that, that from now on. Being made in the image of God then sets us apart from the rest of creation. And we can find this in the uh, first chapter of Genesis. So what are some of the special aspects uh, that are separate from the others? The aspects of the creation of human. The first thing is mankind was a separate creation. In order, um, the order of things um, is clear that um, we are very, very separate from the animals. So God made things in certain days, and then it came to the sixth day, and uh, he made all the animals, all the mammals, and then he stopped, and he said it was good. He saw it was good. Now, usually God used that phrase, and God saw that it was good, at the end of a creation day. But here in this creation on the sixth day he said it in the middle of the day and then he went on to make man and he did it in two stages first stage was making adam and halfway through the creation of mankind he stopped and he didn't say and the lord saw it was good it says and the lord said it was not good what was not good that man should be alone. The first time that God says it's not good is to do with um, a half-created mankind. So he created the other half, Eve, and then it's good. They were made in the image of God. So the first aspect uh, of the difference between humanity and the rest of creation is that it was a separate creation, not at all in the same batch wasn't made with a cookie cutter. And that tells us that we didn't come from animals. We were totally separate. And the, the next thing that makes us different from the creation of anim, uh, animals and everything else is that we were the last thing created. Now, the last thing could tell us that we're the least or that we're the most important. And I believe with all my heart that we are the most important creation of God. We are the pinnacle. We are the masterpiece. But then someone will say, well, is not everything that God makes a masterpiece? Yes, it is. But the difference between this masterpiece and the other masterpieces is that we are made in the image of the master. That's why we're a real masterpiece. We were made separate. We were made last. And thirdly, we were created in God's image. And when I was... Um, Writing this down, I wrote doubly stressed. And then when I went back to the passage this morning, I saw it was triply pressed, uh, stressed. Triply stressed. So um, it says there in uh, 26, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there was the three creation words all around the creation of man. 
It's triply stressed. It's doubly stressed that God created man in his image. That's very, very important. So the third thing that sets us apart from all the rest of creation is that we are created in the image of God. And the fourth thing is uh, we are made for dominion, not domination. There's a big difference between dominion and domination. Dominion means mastery. Domination means abuse. That's the role of mankind. Of no other creature did God say, and let them rule over everything. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So man was made for dominion, not domination. And that means uh, in human relationships as well. It's not domination. The history of humanity after the fall is one of domination, not dominion. So what is it that makes mankind so different from the animals? I don't know if you were watching television. I think it might have been uh, Thursday night. Could have been Thursday night. There was a program on television uh, about dogs. And there were lots of lovely things said about dogs. And then one woman came along and she began to propose that animals needed to be given the same kinds of treatment and status in the courts as people. You're laughing. But it's, that's already happened. Um, on January the 9th, 2015, the Scientific American magazine wrote this. For the first time anywhere, an ape has received the same basic rights as her human captors. The female orangutan, whose picture should come up soon, there she is, um, whose home is in Buenos Aires Zoo, was the beneficiary on December 18th, 2014 of the decision by the high-level Argentine Criminal Appeals Court. So in other words, she was granted some of the same rights as a human being. And, uh, you know, we'll all agree, I'm sure, that cruelty to animals is a terrible thing. It's domination. It's, it's not dominion. And we would love to see that stamped out. However, I think it is very dangerous when we begin to give the creatures for whom we are given responsibility and whom we are placed over the same level and same status as we are. That just shows you the lostness of our humanity that goes down that road. It's very, very serious. Um, those who love the Lord Jesus with a, um, a true heart will love animals. Um, I think of our predecessors in the northeast of Brazil, James and Dory Gunning. They were out in Brazil for 42 years, and uh, we followed them. Uh, they went home, and uh, about 10 years after they went home, we went over to where they worked and took over from them. And the reputation that those people had in that community was amazing. One day, James and Dory were driving along, and uh, a donkey had fallen under its load. And the guys were beating the donkey and telling it to get up and all. And Dory got out of the car, and she said, Don't do that. Give me that load. Terrible men. So she put the load in the boot of the car and uh, let the donkey um, go by itself and took the load to where the donkey was supposed to go. She loved the donkey. And uh, that was just a manifestation of Christian love for animals. But it is dangerous to elevate animals um, to that level. So, um, as we see, cruelty to animals is domination, not dominion. Um, I just read also recently, and this might also surprise you and give you a kind of a nervous laugh, the courts 
And the law systems of our nations now are having to rewrite the law to accommodate cyborgs. They're asking, how are we going to treat a cyborg? Is it really uh, a person? That's true. It's weird, the times we're living in. So you might find yourself pitted against a robot someday in court. The robot may sue you. Watch out for that. Um, so being made in the image of God, and robots are not made in the image of God, neither are orangutans, even though they're lovely. Lovely and ugly. <laughs> um, being made in the image of God means that your life also has fundamental value or intrinsic worth and is inviable. So what does inviable mean? Inviable means that it is untouchable and sacrosanct. No one has the right to murder you. And uh, it's for this reason that God has placed the most severe punishment um, upon the taking of a life. He says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 and 6, And from each man too I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Why? For in the image of God has God made man. So anyone who strikes another human being is striking someone made in the image of God. Anyone who kills another human being or murders another human being is insulting the very image of God. That's why it's so severe. Next point. Being created in the image of God enables us to worship him in spirit and in truth. As we look around at the rest of the creation, we cannot uh, perceive or we cannot pick up that they have the ability to worship God and to think like we do. Um, we can only do that because we are made in the image of God. Do you remember John 4, 23? Uh, Jesus was speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he says there in verse 23, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, his worshiper and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and we are also spirit. Our body is not the sum total of our humanity. We are a multi-faceted um, uh, entity. We have a soul, we have a spirit, we have a body, we have a mind, we have a conscience, we have a will. And all these things come together. Um, are, they're all inextricably linked to become you and me. And that's because we're made in the image of God. Being made in the image of God also has got us an enemy. And uh, that's one of the undesired results of being made in the image of God. This enemy hates us. And I think for several reasons. Um, I think it's because this enemy was thrown out of heaven by God and every time he sees someone that looks a bit like God, he doesn't like it. There are 7.3, that's not Obama, by the way. Um, there are uh, 7.3 million people in the world today, and God knows how many came before us. Uh, for your interest, that's the man who um, acted Satan in the Bible series, uh, or the TV series called The Bible. So I just put him up there. Um, because all the other images were of uh, red-horned creatures, which I don't believe the devil looks like. 
And um, he hates us because we look a bit like God. We remind him of God. And that's why he hates us. He also hates us because he knows that we will reign with Christ one day and that he will be dethroned. First of all, we were the uh, ones who were the rulers of the earth. Then we lost it. And Satan came and usurped that position. He usurped it. And now um, he knows since the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ that his days are numbered. And the kingdom is being restored bit by bit to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the ones whom he saves and who look like him. Um, let, me, uh, have a, uh, let me read a Revelation 17 verse 14. These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called the chosen and faithful. And uh, in another verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, it says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. And uh, this, is, this third reason is just a further explanation of the, the first and the second, I suppose. He hates us because a man is ruling over the universe and therefore over him. A man is ruling over the universe and therefore over him. And then I thought about that for a moment. And my initial thoughts were, um, I was quite chuffed about that because someone who looks like me is ruling over the universe. And then I realized I got it wrong. It's not that I look like him. Um, or not, not that he looks like me, rather. It's that I look like him, and you look like him. He's not made in the image of man. He's made in the image of God. And we also are made in the image of God. But isn't it wonderful to think that the supreme ruler of all the universe is a man. Uh, the, and he's also God. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And that's why the devil hates us. And he will always be our enemy. Uh, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5, Be sober, be vigilant, for your enemy the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. Don't um, relegate that passage to a, a mild threat. That's a very real threat. The devil is seeking to devour each one of us, and he'll do his utmost. Lovely verse from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. Um, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. You see, we are not the exact representation of God's being because we have fallen. And we will come to that right now, the fall. What effects had the fall of man upon the image of God in us? That's a, a good question, isn't it? What effects had the fall of man upon the image of God in us? Was it destroyed? That's a question. Was the image of God in us destroyed, completely annihilated, gone? The answer is no, it's not, because there's remnants of our being, our very makeup, that mirror the makeup of God. But in everything that we do, we distort that image. Someone has said, uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, our, the image of God has been shattered. Can you imagine a piece of glass just falling on the floor, uh, not a carpet, but a um, tile floor, and just going into a thousand pieces? Can you imagine a Ming vase? We're like a Ming vase in a museum. And some one of us visiting a museum knocks it over, falls on the floor, and it goes into a thousand pieces. Now, if the curator gets some superglue and glues it all back together again, um, 
Is it the same worth as it was before? No, it's not. It never will be, humanly speaking. There is no process known to man to restore a Ming vase to its previous condition. But just say you could turn back time, you know, and see that vase on falling back up again onto its stand and becoming whole again. That would be something like what God is going to do to us at the end of time. Complete restoration of the image of God in us. So the image of God has not been destroyed, and that is a great relief. It's been shattered. And there's nothing that we can humanly do to stick it back together again. But that's what God did through sending Jesus. So how can the image of God be restored? Well, it seems to me that it's a, at least a three-stage process. And it starts off with um, salvation of certain parts of our being. And the first part is our spirit. We come to God and we accept him as Lord and Savior because we have been regenerated. Our spirit has been regenerated. And our salvation begins there. And then we have the rest of our lives to live. And our soul is sanctified through the rest of our lives. Day by day, hour by hour, in our relationship with God, our soul is sanctified. And then the body, how is it saved? Well, it's saved through glorification. And that happens when we die. And we're taken to be with him. Or if the Lord should return before we die, we'll be glorified at that moment. So that's how the image of God is gradually restored completely in a human being. So being made in the image of God means that we are his representatives here. And uh, humans represent God's God in several ways. First of all, we represent God by our rule in creation. And we've already touched on that in Genesis 1.26. And then humans represent God by displaying his character if we uh, are walking in the spirit of God. The Lord said to Moses and, de and demanded of the people, speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. So we as human beings are to represent to all the rest of the creation God's character. And that's what the Christian is supposed to do in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then humans are to share in the glory of God. Not a wonderful thing. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Amazing verse. Well, this is the thing that um, uh, Dr. Tom Kimber brought out so masterfully on Wednesday night when he said, um, God created human beings to be radically relational. Radically relational. So I want to say that um, being made in the image of God means that we are relational in four directions. Relational in four directions. I don't know how to physically represent those directions completely, but um, the first relationship is vertical, and it is with God. We were made to be relational with God. The second one is horizontal, I suppose you could say, and we're supposed to be relational with others other people. And the third, I'm not sure if this is the right order, but we're supposed to be relational with creation and to uh, treat well the world that God has given to us. And fourthly, we are to be relational with ourselves. You know, the wonderful thing about the God of the Bible is that he is and was and always will be relational with himself. 
He's got a, a tripartite being. Uh, he's got the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we also have the ability to think and to communicate with ourselves and to direct ourselves through our will. And uh, we are to relate to ourselves. I think all of us relate to ourselves, and some of us may even talk to ourselves. So if anybody accuses you of talking to yourself, don't worry. Just say, I'm supposed to. <laughs> so being, let's, let's have a look at these a bit more detail. Being made in the image of God means that we are responsible beings, responsible for all our relationships. We can't opt out of relationships. We can't um, make it all one way. It doesn't work like that. Uh, going back to the animal kingdom again, no animal will be required to stand before God at the judgment seat to answer for his or her sins. There is no um, requirement upon animals like that. Okay, in the Old Testament, an animal or a bull or some other animal who killed another human being or, or interfered in an inappropriate way with a human being was to be killed. Now, that was because of a couple of things. Because uh, of the risk of reoffending, and primarily because that animal uh, tampered with a being made in the image of God. So it was to be slaughtered. But it wouldn't be standing before any judgment seat of Christ. That is what is going to happen to us. In the same way, our law today uh, puts a dog down that mauls a human being. Why? Because we still, thank God, believe that the life of a human is more valuable than the life of a dog. Can you imagine if we change that around, what will happen? Doesn't bear thinking about. So, um, in the last judgment um, that we hear about in Matthew, we see that the sheep and the goats um, are separated. And we can see from that story that we are actually responsible for our actions, responsible for the way we uh, relate to God, responsible for the way in which we relate to people, especially the poor, the imprisoned, and other types of people. So we will be held accountable. One of the claims of atheistic thought is that man is free to do as he wishes. And uh, he is not bound by some imaginary God or his rules. But really, sorry to disappoint them, because that is only wishful thinking. A desire to escape the consequences of sin. And that's why they do it. That's why they say it. And since we are made in the image of God, we are responsible to him for everything that we do, every relationship. So as image bearers of God, we are responsible to God, not for God, but to God. And 2 Corinthians 5, this is the portion that we've been in for a number of weeks now. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So as image bearers of God, we are responsible to God and will stand before him. And uh, secondly, as image bearers of God, we are responsible for others and to others. And um, just a preliminary couple of verses to that. Uh, James 3, 8 and 9 um, says this, But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse man or men who have been made in the similitude of God. There's another word for image, similitude of God, the likeness of God. So um, it is, we will be held responsible for cursing 
a, a man or a woman because that man or woman is made in the image of God. And therefore, in an indirect way, we are cursing God. Any of you here have a problem with bad language, uh, cursing people? Remember that indirectly, you are cursing God. And uh, Proverbs 17.5 says, He who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Why? Because made in the image of God. I was just listening to a talk by Ravi Zacharias the other day, and he refers us to the story in the Bible where one of the um, Jewish uh, leaders comes up to him and asks Jesus, is it okay to pay taxes to Caesar? Do you remember that story? Well, uh, Jesus says, um, look, give me a coin, maybe indicating that he didn't have a purse, he didn't uh, have any pockets in his clothes, or it was poor. And um, he found the coin, looked at it and said, whose image is on that? And the man says, Caesar. And Jesus replies, then give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God that which is God. So Ravi Zacharias, he uh, extrapolates a little bit and he says, you know, I often think there should be another question. The man should have said, um, uh, what is it then that belongs to God? And uh, Jesus would then have replied, um, whose image is on you? And so the line would be, render unto God what is God's. That would be you. Because you're made in the image of God. One Pharisee, trying to test Jesus, asked him one day, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus did not give him one uh, commandment. And this never struck me before. Jesus gave him two commandments. And they go like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus was basically saying it is impossible to love God without loving those who are made in his image. Did you know that? You can say, I love Jesus, but I hate people. Forget it, you don't love Jesus. Those two commandments are one, and they're inextricably linked. We love God by loving people, and that's the, way, that's the only way we can do it. There's no other way, even those who hate us. So then, uh, also, as image bearers of God, we are responsible for the care of creation. Genesis 2.15 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. That was his purpose. And to this day, we are still responsible to take care of our world. I think it's pretty clear that much of our human activity, especially in the last 200 years, has been very detrimental to the world. And uh, we can't get away from that. Uh, just uh, two weeks ago, they were saying that a huge, I think it's even 90% of the Great Barrier Reef is now subject to bleaching. And uh, there are those who believe that it is caused by um, certain runoffs from the land, the agricultural land, uh, as, uh, into the reef and causing bleaching. Others think it's global warming or a combination of both. But I think there's no getting away from it that uh, our world has been damaged in a big way. So. We are responsible for the care of creation. Now, maybe you, you don't believe that, or you don't believe that we're responsible for the damage of the world, 
I ask the question then, who bears the consequences of the destruction of the planet? If you want to avoid the responsibility, you certainly will not avoid the consequences. So as, as people, uh, we need to um, ask ourselves simply this. Can we live simpler lives to make Earth's resources go farther? I think that's an implication of caring for this world and our responsibility to relate to the creation. I often wonder, um, you know, I've got such a, an inherited interest in nature from my father. And um, uh, sometimes I come across people who um, wouldn't know a cassowary from a magpie. And um, it makes me wonder how they get through life with any joy at all. <laughs> Um, not, notice, not noticing these things, not noticing the butterflies, not noticing the, the skinks that run along the ground, not noticing um, the gum blossom and, and, and smelling and all the rest of it. I encourage you all to love the Lord's creation. I encourage you to get into an encyclopedia and find out about the species of wallaby that there are in this country. How many are there? How many kinds of kangaroos there are? And things like that. And delight in the creation that God has made. And finally, as image bearers of God, we are responsible to self and for self, honoring the Lord with our body. Um, since we are made in the image of God, it is very wrong of us to mistreat our bodies. And uh, we can do that by overeating, overdrinking. We can do that by overworking. We can do it by illicit drugs. We can do it by illicit sexual relationships and so on. And since we're made in the image of God, then it's a violation of that to mistreat our bodies in any way whatsoever. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor the Lord with your body. So what can we conclude from today? Well, I think we can conclude immediately that we've just scratched the surface of the image of God. Uh, there's so much in there, so many implications for our lives and how we treat others, how we treat God, how we treat the creation, how we treat ourselves. And I just encourage you, if you want to do some uh, more reading or advanced reading on this, John Piper has an article simply called the image of God, you will find it on desiringgod.org, rather, desiringgod.org. And um, he will go into quite depth there with that. But I would like to leave with, with you a verse uh, in finishing uh, before we come to the Lord's table. John, uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known, made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. So that's an implication of the image of God, and what yet awaits us, that complete restoration of the image of God. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.